You're listening to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. If you're looking for some encouragement, words of hope, and maybe a laugh or two, that's exactly what Richard wants to share with you today. We know life can get pretty busy and complicated, so we're truly grateful you've chosen to take a break and listen to the program. Now, if you're not able to hang out with us for the entire program, you can always pick it back up at our website, richardellistalks.com. In fact, you can find all of Richard's talks right there waiting just for you, richardellistalks.com. So, with today's talk, here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is 18 Inches. C.H. Spurgeon said this, A religion of head knowledge and theories will prove of no avail either in this life or that which is to come. And then someone said this, The longest journey a man must take is the 18 inches from his head to his heart. What is the difference in head knowledge and heart knowledge? I lived about 20-something years of my life with everything being head knowledge and doing what little I could half-heartedly at best. Because the things that I believed in my head, the facts that I knew in my head, I had not let it sink, drop into my heart, so I had no idea how to make it work. Things like my mom would say to me, I'd say, mom, how can you know what's the right girl? And she would say things like, well, when you know, you know. That is not just a head thing. And there are feelings that come with that, but that kind of knowledge, that kind of understanding is a completely different place than just in your head. So some people here today and beyond, you say, well, I don't know anything. So the little knowledge or no knowledge that I have I don't know, I'd be open to understanding. You gotta hear something first, you get the information. But if it never drops, if it never makes the 18 inch journey from your brain to your heart, you could miss the whole thing. And there are a lot of people that think, well, I do know some stuff. I did go to church, I have information, I studied, I read, I know about world religions, I have all this information. But if nothing ever slots in, If it never connects and somewhere deep down inside of you in your very being, it makes sense and you believe it not just in your head but in your heart, then your life will not change the way it could and needs to change. You can change your behavior from your head, but you cannot change your life but from your heart. I could print off a bunch of rules and say, don't do this, do this. And a lot of people say, well, church is about do's and don'ts. There are certain things that if your heart has changed, you would think your life would change in these ways. But there are a lot of people, and I was a trained professional at this, I didn't get any of it in my heart, but I knew it in my head, so I did the stuff, I just didn't believe the stuff. And I believe some of the stuff, but not enough to make life work. Now let's start in Psalm, we'll try to move right. Psalm 56.9. Now we're going to weave our way through here. I'm going to read you things that will help this make more sense. And I'm going to give you some examples along the way of how it either works or it does not work. You say, well, how would I really know whether it's in my head or my heart? When we're done, hopefully it'll make a little more sense. Psalm 56.9. I've read this. It's one of my favorite verses because of what it says. I used to hate this verse, by the way, because it was not in my heart. I could only get it in my head. When I cry out to you, Then my enemies will turn back. This I know because God is for me. If you know that in your head, it doesn't help you very much. But when you know that in your heart, that will change your life. 
because you get in a situation and even if you've memorized the verse, if you know the verse, you memorize the verse, you even quote the verse, but you don't believe the verse in your heart, then you still can be afraid. You can still be overwhelmed. You can still feel like I can't take this anymore. I'll never make it. But if the reality, what it says that God is for me, He's not against me, he's for me in the New Testament. If God be for us, who can be against us? And I knew all those verses. I grew up hearing them and studying them, memorizing them, but I didn't know they were real to me, for me. So at some point, you gotta say, God, I don't really even wanna learn more stuff till what I know slots in here, and it makes sense, and I believe it, and it changes my life. I wanna get in a situation where the enemy is coming at me, or my enemies literally are coming at me, and I can push back from the inside with simply saying something like, you know what, it's gonna be okay, because God is for me. That's not head knowledge. That'll change the way you live, no matter what comes your way. Literally God, not just the God. God is bigger than just having made the universe, by the way. That's just one thing he's done probably. Who knows what else has happened? Get to heaven and go, wow, you had all these things going. You're bigger than we thought. If you say, if you really believe deep down inside that God is for you, there's no way you can't be okay. Go to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse nine, how can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? With my whole heart, I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. If you're having trouble sinning against God, ask the question, where is the scripture? Where is his word? Is it just in your head? Or have you assimilated it, digested it into your very life, into your heart, where when you quote it, you're quoting it out of understanding, comprehension, application, saying, okay, God, I need to make this work here. Proverbs 3, some of you know this by heart, some of you have never heard it in your lives. Proverbs 3, verse 5, trust in the Lord, what? With all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths or you may have make your path straight. Who are you trusting in? You say, well, yeah, I know what that verse says. I don't care that you know what the verse says. Do you know what it says? When you get in the situation where God says, trust me, and you go, well, yeah, I trust you, but, and I don't want to be mean with this God, but in case, we got a backup plan here. So if you don't come through, we're good. That's not trusting God with all your heart. That's leaning on your own understanding and saying, well, if he doesn't come through and figure this out, we got it figured out. Matthew 13, Matthew chapter 13, and we're not gonna read this entire story, we're gonna jump in at verse 18. Jesus explains this parable that he had told. Matthew 13, 18, therefore hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. So it's sown in your heart. You come to church, you listen to some message, you, wherever it is, the word is sown in your heart. And what happens? And I promise you, we get a show of hands on this. You go, yeah, I went to church one time and I heard this amazing message and, you know, I don't remember what it was right now, but, you know, it was an amazing message and it just didn't work for me, okay? Look at the explanation. Anyone hears the word of the kingdom, does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. That's like I plant a seed, and in the middle of the night, somebody digs it up and pulls it out. 
and it never has an opportunity to germinate and bear fruit. So be aware of this. If any of this is registering, you go, wow, this is making sense. Then be aware that the enemy is gonna try to come and snatch the seed out and go, you don't need this. This is he who received seed by the wayside, but he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. So, wow, this is great, this is awesome, my life is gonna change. Receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when, and look at what steals this. You get it and you're on a roll. We're gonna do this, we can make it. And you keep trucking along until what happens? Tribulation and persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. So you're living it, you're doing it, you're talking about Jesus, all that, then you get in a little situation and there's some persecution. Someone goes, dude, what happened to you? Are you crazy? You don't really believe all that. Well, yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. You know, I, I just went to this thing and yeah, 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 you're right. I'm out. And you just drop it. So it got you a little ways, but our tribulation comes and problems and stress, whatever. You go, ah, I don't have time to be chasing after God anymore. I'm out. Keep reading this story. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and then what happens to this person? And this is the United States of America all over it. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Nothing happens. The cares of this world. Dude, I just got so much to do and I gotta get rich. You've heard this before. If you are a Christian in your place of business and you'd have to convince people of that, it's probably not working out. If you're a Christian at work, people are gonna know that. And if they don't know it yet, it's gonna come up and someone will say, well, yeah, you know, so-and-so, he or she really committed to their faith, spirituality, however they describe it, and then that person will go, well, I can see that. I can see that. If there's no difference in us, it's not working. We're not being fruitful. Go to Matthew 22. This is told in a few places in the Gospels, and we'll use this one. Matthew 22 and verse 32. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, a teacher of the law basically, asked him a question, testing him and saying, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God, what? With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So he includes the mind. So you say, well, is it just your heart? No, it's all of you. But if you only have head knowledge and it's not a complete absorption into your system, then that's all you have. You're just regurgitating information. It never gets out of your head. But he said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. He starts out there, though, with loving him with all of your heart, soul, and mind, not loving with all your mind. Go to Acts chapter 26. And we'll have a couple more after that and we're done. Okay, I'm going to read you this account and let you see how a thinking, knowledgeable person can get this close and miss the whole thing. This is Acts 26, verse one. So King Agrippa, 
Go back in history. When Paul lives, Paul has been arrested for his faith, no other reason. And he ends up, he's appealed to Caesar, as you'll see later in the story, and he's brought before Agrippa. Then Agrippa said to Paul, verse one, you are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. I think myself happy. Now he's under arrest, now he thinks he's happy. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. So you are knowledgeable about everything he compliments him, but it's a fact King Agrippa had to be aware of what was going on with the people he was ruling over so he could interact with them. So this is a good situation. King Agrippa knows what he's about to be talking about. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. This is going to take a minute, so just hear me out. My manner of life from youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. All the Jews know who I am and how I lived. They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers." To this promise, our 12 tribes earnestly serving God night and day hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. So now he's going to use this argument that even I thought there's nothing to this. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, and now he's one of them in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. I was even for Christians dying. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. So you say, well, these terrible people in the world get up to Christians and go, deny Jesus. That was Paul doing that. You think you got regrets? This guy was chasing Christians down, getting them killed and causing them to blaspheme, deny their faith and being exceedingly enraged against them. Have you ever met a militant atheist? Someone who just hates God, hates Jesus. They are just exceedingly enraged. Jesus saves those people too, by the way. And Paul's one of them. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. I chased them down out of town. While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest at midday, O king. So midday, high noon, along the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goad. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both to the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles, to whom I now send you. To do what? To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared it first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. Just insert this. 
when you truly repent, your life changes. For these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both the small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, he would be the first to rise from the dead, and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles." Now, as he thus made his defense, Festus, another guy in charge, said with a loud voice, Paul, you're beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. You're crazy, dude. Listen to yourself. But he said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention since this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. 18 inches. Just a little journey down. Almost. You can't almost go to heaven. That will not be good enough. You can't get before God one day and say, wow, this is crazy. I almost believed all this one day. Almost won't cut it. You can't do almost. You can't even do most. You have to do the all. All. You say, well, I believe all this. Does your life look like that? And then Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. I wish you all knew what I had, except for the chains. When he had said these things, the king stood up, as well as the governor and Bernice and those who sat with them. And when they had gone aside, they talked among themselves, saying, this man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. Then Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. But God even used his appeal to Caesar to further the gospel. It doesn't sound someone who's distracted by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. It sounds like someone who's willing to live it, even die, if that's what it takes. One more out of Romans chapter 10. Now, this is the same guy who gave that speech in Acts 26, writing in Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, so he's writing about Christians, two Christians. My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. They decide, well, here's what being good is and make up their own rules. Ask God what righteousness is and live that. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. There's a man sitting in here today, showed up at the office and I went to ask him some questions. 
Because one of the simplest questions you can ask somebody if you're trying to figure out kind of where they're coming from is this simple question. Who is Lord? No one can say but by the Spirit of God that Jesus Christ is Lord. They cannot get the words out of their mouth. And before I could get the question out, he said, Jesus is my Lord. If I walked into a room with my wife standing next to me and someone said, who is that? And I said, what are you talking about? The redheaded woman next to you. What redheaded woman? He said, well, you'd be kind of crazy. What are you ashamed of here? You're just, are you nuts? This is my wife. She's it, right? <laughs> She's it. She's the deal. So you walk in the room and you got Jesus. Tell me about this person that lives in you. You clearly don't live alone. Oh, that's my Lord. Let me tell you something about it. When it's working, they already know somebody lives in your house. They just don't know his name yet. But when it's working, they can see that you do not live alone because your life is different. You have joy. You have peace. You have all the stuff that comes, the fruit. There's something going on. They go, you know, okay, so you got to tell me. I know somebody else is living in there. Who is it? What'd you do? What are you smoking? What are you drinking? What you know? What's going on? And then you start to speak of the person, your Lord. You confess with your mouth. They go, wow, I don't understand all that, but it is so dramatically changing your life. I'd like to hear more about that. So if you've only believed in your head, it's probably not going to work for you. And I'm kind of telling you, you need to let it drop about 18 inches or it's not going to get you there. You can intellectually assent, believe, accept certain facts. It has to be truth for you or you can miss the whole thing. Before Richard comes back to wrap things up for us today, I'd like to share a couple important things with you. Let me encourage you to take a minute and check out our website, richardellistalks.com. You'll find today's talk right there in the talks page, along with all of Richard's messages. You can even forward them to a friend so they can hear them too. You'll also find the prayer wall to add your prayer requests, a link to connect with us, the contribute page for you to be able to give to this ministry, a radio station finder, all our social media links, and much more. So check it out, richardellistalks.com. And Richard's back now to wrap up today's talk. Maybe this one last one in 1 Peter 5, two verses. One more example, 1 Peter 5, 6. And by the way, if you say, well, are there other examples? The entire Bible is nothing but an example of this, of people who trusted him or not, who followed him or not, who waited on him or not, and consequence. You say, well, did it always work out? No, the Bible is very balanced. It shows complete screw-ups in people who trusted him. 1 Peter 5, 6, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. I honestly believe with all of my heart now that he cares for me, that he's on my side. How and what is it that God has to do to communicate to you that he's for you? What could he possibly come up with that is bigger than sending his only son to live a sinless life, die a death he did not deserve, on a cross, be buried and raised from the dead to rescue you and me. What do you want? What does it take? That's it. But see, I knew all that information in my head, but I didn't translate it into my heart where I really believe that he cares for me in specific, detailed ways. 
You say, but I still got stuff happening. I still got challenges. You live on this planet with everybody else. God allows things. There's evil in the world, but it doesn't mean he stopped caring for you. Yeah, but some things have gone wrong. Trust him anyway. Where are you going to go? Who cares for you more than he does? I don't even care about me as much as he cares about me. You say, why'd you read that verse? Because you either know that in your head or you know it in your heart. And if you know it in your heart, then you can do the previous stuff a whole lot easier. You can humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. How can you humble yourself? You can't humble yourself if you've resorted to your own understanding. And you say, you know what? I'm gonna be somebody. I'm gonna make something in my life. I'm gonna accumulate some things. I'm gonna arrive. I'm gonna do the deal. I am not gonna humble myself because I've gotta make it. And you spend your whole life wasting your life trying to attain something that if you would just realize he cares about you, you could humble yourself and in due time, let him do the lifting and put you in places. God has put me in places I never could have gotten myself. Never gotten myself. Let him love you. Let him care about you. Do it his way. Just try it his way for more than a couple of days. I gave God a shot. You know, that weekend I gave him a shot and it didn't work out. I'm out. Really? Thanks for tuning in today to Richard Ellis Talks. With the busy schedule everyone has these days, it means the world to us that you would take this time to listen. Let us know how it has touched your heart by calling us at 855-6-RICHARD. You can also connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. One last thing, Richard Ellis Talks is a daily program, but also has daily costs. And being a listener-supported program means we rely on the financial partnership of our listeners, which means you. Maybe you've given to this ministry before or have waited for the right time. Well, we believe that these talks with Richard are making a difference in your life. So this is how you can make a difference to ours. You can contribute by giving us a call at 855-6-RICHARD or at our website, richardellistalks.com. Thank you for your very generous gifts. It truly means so much to us. God bless and thanks for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.